Good morning, all you food lovers around the globe. Some of you um, just entering into spring, the other half of the world, saying goodbye to summer and um, entering fall. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig, and we're going to start off today's program with a really important book by a very talented writer. You're, you're in love with this guy. I am in love let, with him. I loved it. Let, us everybody, let everybody know. What, what's his name? It's <laughs> Rowan, Jacobson. Rowan, Rowan Jacobson. Rowan Jacobson. And Rowan J- Jacobson has a thing with... Truffles. So why don't we, why don't we hear why and what, what for and everything to do with truffles? I have been totally enthralled with this book by Rowan Jacobson, so I'm really happy that we're going to be talking to him. It's called Truffle Hound on the Trail of the World's Most Seductive Scent with Dreamers, Schemers, and Some Extraordinary Dogs. And, and I want to get these compliments right out at the start of this interview, Rowan. I mean, you're probably one of the finest um, writers in the field that I know of, and and you managed to, uh, you created a sexy page-turner of a book about truffles, you know, and and your experiences exploring the the whole field of of truffle growing production and sales. Um, Congratulations on your book, and I loved it. Well, thank you very much. And, um, yeah, hopefully I can convince other people that truffles are pretty sexy too. Um, I mean, that is their, that's their, their, their goal, right? They want to seduce people with their scent. So yeah, I'm just here and, to help. In fact, you are actually something I did not know that there are sexes in truffles, right? <laughs> there are. And even the scientists didn't really understand that until just a few years ago. So it's breaking yeah, news. <laughs> it got complicated when you were sort of explaining about mother um, um, DNA and and, and, and I, I'm not sure I understand a lot of things. There's one of the things I think I, I couldn't pronounce, but you could pronounce it for me, is um, I was disappointed with tons of truffle products that are all over the, the market, uh, all over everywhere. Um, because they tasted primarily of chemicals, and reading your book is because they actually are primarily chemicals, right? Yeah, there's a um, there's a chemical called dithiopentane, which is just made in a food lab, and it is uh, the flavoring that's used to create that that smell of truffle in all the jarred and canned truffle products you find out there. You know, the truffle oils and the truffle salts and the truffle uh, mac right. and cheese and all the other products that we're seeing now. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's like any other, you know, synthetic uh, food flavoring. And it, it does have, it carries, it does have one of the smells that you get in a real truffle, but a real truffle is going to have 50 to 100 different smells going at once. It's one of the most complicated smells that exist. So the artificial stuff really doesn't do justice. To yeah, I mean, when we were experience. in Australia... And we um, we visited Tasmania. We visited a uh, a guy with truffle production farm, and he used that synthetic chemical on tennis balls to train his dogs. <laughs> exactly, it it, it yeah. works for training dogs because the dogs yeah. are like, oh, okay, you want something that has that? Well, <laughs> I can find some other stuff that has that plus a lot more. 
Yeah, especially especially if you give me a treat if I find one. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the, the treats are key. Yeah, for most dogs. Um, but that's great. You guys are in Australia. They they are now producing some of the uh, best black truffles in the world. In fact, many experts think that they produce the best black truffles in the world. Well, you know, um, we had a totally different experience from the one in Tasmania when we were. Uh, in fact, we have a photograph of us with this um, doctor. I can't remember his name in Western Australia. Who who mm-hmm. actually um, he was growing the real stuff. Do you rem- there's a picture of us with him and his dog on our website. What is his name, Rapid? You remember? I don't, I don't know what you're asking. What? The name of the the doctor um, that was involved with truffles in Western Australia. With a photograph his, with him. His first name was Nick. And that's all. That's all I know. And he he was an agricultural chemist of some kind. And he, he got a contract or some, somehow or other, and he, he got involved with the Australian government wanting him wanting to sponsor him to see if he could grow truffles in Australia. And uh, he, he was a man of great patience and great ingenuity, so he succeeded just as they had asked him to, whereas when we were dealing with a truffle farmer in, in Tasmania... We 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 never actually we never actually broadcast his interview because we were pretty sure he lied to us. Yeah. <laughs> About. Yeah, I, mean, um, I, I was sure that he was a liar. Yeah. But, but, um, but, yeah. Well, that's but entirely. But he was tied. He possible. was tied up with a with a French organization that, that that promised that that they would help you to grow truffles wherever you were. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're seeing a lot of that around the world. Um, there's uh, a, lo- a lot of people want to grow truffles. They like the the, uh, the sound of it. Um, and they don't quite realize that it takes a really long time. You have to grow trees that are inoculated with the spores uh, from right. the truffles. Um, and it, it can take eight to ten years, and you have to keep up on your maintenance all, all along yeah, but really well. The whole time reading your book, though, I... I I had this pinch of of disappointment that a while back when all this American truffle stuff was breaking and then all the stuff from around the world was breaking, um, I tried talking to our cousin, Richard, who is in Tasmania, who he was growing passion fruit at the time and now is known for his organic avocados. But he's a geologist, and I figured if anybody would have the, the patience and the know-all with the right climate, that he could have made a fortune on truffles. Um, he never tried. Did, he never, oh, he, he never tried, yeah. No, he yeah. didn't try because it was too long. It was too arduous. And you point out it's really tough to grow them. It is. You have to have the right temperament, which, like, as you just pointed out, that the, the science-minded guy uh, that you met, that's kind of what it takes uh, to be a good truffle farmer, it seems like. Somebody who could really uh, be very systematic and can wait a while. So it's not for the faint of heart, for sure. Do you have his phone number? Yes. Do you have your cell phone? Hello? You hung up. Well, what, should I hang up? No, give me his phone number so I can call him.
But you disconnected the call now. Okay, the cell phone is is eight oh two. Eight oh two seven. No, I'm sorry. Eight oh two two seven nine. Oh, there he is. Are you back? I'm back. I'm back. Oh, I lost you guys. What there. happened? Huh? I, the line just went dead. Um, I couldn't hear you at all. Oh no. I don't know. Maybe these are bad <laughs> omens. <I'm laughs> I know. I know. Oh, are we not connected now? Oh, well, and could you oh, call okay. one Should more I... time? All right, I'll hang sure. up. Peter will read the connect. All right, bye bye. Okay. Okay, Rowan Jacobson, um, I'm, I'm trying to remember if we interviewed you about the Oyster book, but that was a while ago. Um, yeah, I think let me did. get Let me get all of the the compliments right out front here, is that um, I, your book is called Truffle Hound, um, subtitled On the Trail of the World's Most Seductive Scent with Dreamers, Schemers, and Some Extraordinary Dogs. Nice illustration. Um, I mean, I think you probably are one of the most inventive, um, talented of the cookbook writers or culinary writers that we've ever read or interviewed. You have a vocabulary bar none. You, you know, of all any other field like art, you have references to art. I mean, it's a joy to read, and who would ever think that a book about truffles would become a sexy page turner, but you did it. <laughs> well, hopefully this is just the beginning of Truffle's coming out party as, as a new sexy food. That's my goal. Rabbit. Yes, what's You translate them if you can hear them. Yeah, I, I, I hear them, okay. You're still, you're still there. Still there, yep. Yeah, I, I, I don't... I'm being troubled over the sound. I'm having a lot of trouble with the sound. It's breaking up constantly. Huh. But But only for one of them? Why don't you carry it then, Peter, if you, you know, I'm the one that read the book, huh? (laughs) Oh, well, let's soldier on. Um, What started this book? You have it in your book but I'm trying to recall what got you started on this search for the essence of truffles and the whole industry. And um, also, how long did it take you to do all this research so that you were trotting all over the globe to, to places where you were, you were exploring the truffle industry? Um, and I want to know at the end, I'm going to ask you what your conclusion was. We have a lot of truffle experiences and stories to share. But anyhow, let's start out at the beginning. You had a whiff of a truffle, right? Right, right. Yeah, for me, it really started in 2018 when I was in northern Italy uh, in Barolo, 
uh, during truffle season, so in October, late October, and got to the chance to smell some white truffles that were at their peak and was just blown away by the smell. It was so much better than other truffle experiences I'd had in the past. And I went to the Alba Truffle Fair there in, in uh, northern Italy, which is kind of the uh, the granddaddy of truffle events with, I think, hundreds of thousands of visitors. Big deal. Um, and the sheer volume of truffles, it seemed impossible that the, those truffles were coming from the local area, as, as is kind of claimed. Um, and it made me want to understand where all these truffles were really coming from and what that crazy scent was all about and just how how the whole thing worked. Uh, so that was the beginning of a couple of years of, of deep dives into truffle culture and, and as you say, uh, traveling quite a bit to, to see what it was like in different countries. Well, I'm not sure that I mean, there's so much information in this book. I'm not sure I... I can keep straight all the different um, types of truffles. I I always thought it was just black and white, but, but you you have all so many more in here. But you do have um, a wonderful section of photographs of the different types of of, um, of truffles. And, and I want to point out that you also have a note on how to use truffles, which I'm not so sure everybody knows. Um, I, I approved immediately of your research when I, you pointed out all of these um, companies that produce all of these truffle products, which are essentially um, chemicals. <laughs> we've, we've been trapped in that for a long time, many times over. Um, yeah. and, and you've explained what it is. I can't pronounce it, but it's what they all use adding it to inferior truffles to get that smell, but it's purely chemical and, and not truffle essence. What is that? Yeah, it's a, it's a chemical called dithiopentane, um, which, yeah, nobody can pronounce. And uh, it's, it's very cheap to make. And, you know, it's just like any other artificial flavoring, um, you know, like you'd find in strawberry yogurt or whatever. Uh, but so it's... Um, it is one of the aroma compounds that you do find. You still, you still can't hear me? Yeah, I, I, I hear you fine. I don't know what Anne is doing. What's, what's, why can't I understand? It seems to be breaking up. I don't huh. know. Should we, should we try, should I try calling back and see if that's better? Can you step into another room? Another room would be better. Um, I could try. I doubt it's, uh, I doubt it's that, especially if, if Peter's hearing me okay. I mean, my right. connection. See, I don't know why he could hear it. good here. I can't. Let, let's, let's, this, this is important enough. Let's just, uh, let's just have, uh, run, just hang up and call back in about 60 to 90 seconds. Okay, I'll do. In the in the meantime, I'll start a a whole new session. Okay, I'll do that. I'm I'm going to hang up. You're going to go dead, and then just call back. It could be my phone, maybe. I don't know. Just call back. Just call back in on the number you called in on before. 
Okay. All right. I'll call shortly. Bye. Um, Rowan Jacobson, I love your new book, Truffle Hound, subtitled On the Trail of the World's Most Seductive Scent with Dreamers, Schemers, and Some Extraordinary Dogs. I am in total awe of your words, Smith talent. I mean, you're just a beautiful writer. And as I said to you before, um, something that might sound like a pretty straightforward uh, dead subject, truffle hunting, um, becomes in your hands a remarkably sexy page turner. And I loved every minute of reading it. Uh, Let's start back with something um, that you accidentally hit on this through smelling, it sort of hits you over the head, the smell of, of a um, truffle, right? Yes, it started for me uh, in, in northern Italy uh, in truffle season a few years ago when I smelled a, a really good white truffle just at the, the top of its game and was just blown away by the smell and wanted to learn more about how anything in the world could smell like that. And you, you end up at... Um, it's not a spoiler, but you end up really with the idea that it's the seduction of the aroma rather than anything else about the truffle that has people falling all over and paying such huge prices for them. Hmm? Absolutely. Yeah, the truffle is doing all its work through smell. It doesn't really have much taste at all. Um, it's all the aromatics. And um, that's the, the natural uh, reason that a truffle exists is to lure animals with that smell and, and make them want to eat it so they'll, they'll spread its spores around the forest. Oh, okay. you talk so about yeah you talk about a dog's nose because dogs are what they use now they used to use pigs to, to hunt truffles but the pigs always gobble them up so now they train dogs and um a dog's nose is very different i i found that fascinating the book is full of so many fascinating sort of side paths that um you know i, I will not get to all of them but listeners be forewarned, you're going to be totally bewitched by this book and all its little uh, asides. Tell us about a dog's nose that we didn't know. Yeah, I, I always knew that obviously dogs are much better smellers than we are, but once I, I really dived into the science of, of dog smelling, I realized that it really is different uh, on a, a qualitative level from human smelling. Their noses are bigger. But uh, they are also designed where that where dogs can get just a much better chance to sample a smell and figure out what it is and where it's coming from. The way our noses work is it's kind of just like the same passage in and out. So we breathe in air, it goes yeah. across our our nasal passages, um, and we you know we look for the molecules of scent that are in there, and then we breathe the exact same air out through the exact same route. So then when we breathe in our next breath we're getting some of the air we just expelled. Um, so there's all the, the, we're not getting a constant sampling of fresh air. But dogs have a system where they can breathe in air and shunt it up into a side passage and hold on to it where their nasal receptors are and just be slow. Be like, so their brains can be working on that smell separate from the air they're using to breathe. Uh, so 
that gives them a much better opportunity to basically analyze that, that puff of air and figure out what scents are in there and then where they're coming from. So they have more receptors than we have. They're allowed, they, they, they're able to analyze that information longer and they get a constant flow of fresh air because they can also shunt their breaths, their exhale out the little flaps in the corners of their nose so it doesn't get in the way of the next breath in. So it's just like a much better system than ours. So, so they, so they also, they also like digging in the dirt, which most human beings don't do a lot of. <laughs> well, you know, and that's a good point: is that their noses are much closer to the ground, and and scents tend to pool along the ground. They're almost like these little invisible rivers that we can't see, but they're flowing through the forest. So the dog's nose is in the right place for it. And and the good the good the good news for truffle lovers around the world is that. Dogs really like doing it, and they're very trainable. So we actually, they're amazing we actually, at it, yeah. We actually have pictures of truffle dogs being trained in Western Australia by by someone who's in the last 15 years has made a really successful venture out out of what was really a prototype. Here's some money. Go see if you can grow some truffles in the forests of Western Australia, and Dr. Nick, whose last name I've forgotten, took on the challenge and succeeded, whereas many people around the world who have tried artificially growing truffles have been not successful, and many of them, not only were they not successful, but they also lied about how successful they weren't. And the, the, yes, the, that's the true. stories that you recount in your book about a lot of the dark side of the truffle industry. Um, you said there are two sides. There's the good side and the bad side. Could you explain to our listeners a little bit about how that works? You're, you're not afraid to name names, by the way, in, in your book, which I thought was interesting. Well, yeah, so, the, um, so traditionally, uh, truffles, there's sort of been these big um, conglomerates in Europe that handled most of the truffle business. And um, the hunting was always done by, you know, just individuals and their dogs out in the forest uh, of uh, Southern Europe and Eastern Europe. But those individuals would sell to dealers and, you know, buyers who would come through and buy up the truffles from the hunters. And then those buyers would sell to dealers and eventually they would, you know, get sold to these this handful of large companies in France and Italy that sort of dominated the industry. And they didn't really want you knowing where their truffles were coming from. Um, and it also, it was sort of like this old-school luxury thing where, you know, in the dining room, the truffle would be presented to you at the table by the waiter, and there'd be uh-huh. a lot of sort of uh, sturm und drang around, around the presentation of the truffle, and then they would shave it for you. So it was really supposed to be this fancy, um, you know, fine dining experience, and they didn't want you to think about the muddy hunter and the muddy dog and the truffle that was coming out of the dirt. They were trying; they, they kind of didn't think you wanted to know about that. But of course, the world has changed, and people are really interested in ingredients and where their ingredients come from. So the truffle world kind of hasn't caught up with that. So there's, there's still these old school entities who kind of want to like hide the realities of how truffles are found. But to me, that was the most fascinating part. And I think probably for most modern diners, that's the most interesting part. So that's what I really tried to uh, 
highlight in the book. Yeah, but you, you also indicated, and we've experienced it, um, how what you think you're getting as, as a real treffle, even including the labeling. Uh, explain us a little bit about that, how, how you get that um, bits and not even having bits and pieces of truffle in, in certain products from these big truffle dealers and, and what, what substitutes for the, the actual truffle itself. Right. Um, so the, the, the truffles have incredibly complex aromatics to them, but those compounds are really volatile. So any kind of jarred shelf-stable product requires a lot of like cooking to, to get it there. Um, and that cooking is always just going to eliminate all of the truffle aromatics. Uh, so you really can't capture the aromatics of a fresh truffle in a jarred product. Uh, so what people have done for a long time is they use a chemical, which is made in a lab, which gives a sort of very crude um, approximation of truffle scent. And uh, it's super cheap. So this whole um, cheap wave of products we've seen in the past decade or so, the, the truffle chips and the truffle fries and the truffle oils are all made with this chemical. And um, it's actually a natural flavoring made out of, probably out of cornstarch. Um, so they can claim, they can call it natural aroma on the, on the ingredients label, and that's what you'll often see is just the word aroma or natural aroma or natural flavoring. But it's just a chemical made in a lab. And... Um, if they want to actually list truffle on the ingredients list, they'll often use a t- few, just a f- tiny little bits of, of of summer truffle, which is a black truffle that's abundant throughout Europe um, and is pretty cheap as well. So the, you're not yeah, getting I mean, any some, of the really fun. How do you know? That, that, how can you negotiate so you're not getting cheated on these truffles? What are the signs that uh, that you're not getting what what you're supposed to be getting as advertised? I mean, I. I've had things like truffle zest, you know. Right, and, right. Yeah, and um, well, I have. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've truffle salt is another one that, that's everywhere. And how much truffle are you getting? Basically none. I mean, if there's little black flecks in your truffle salt, though, that is dried bits of truffle, but that's, it's not providing any of those aromatics. The aromatics are coming from a chemical. So it's actually a pretty easy rule. If you, if you want the experience of real truffle, you have to work with fresh truffles. Really? And you, you have to buy. Tell, give us an idea of the price of these truffles. I think people will be flabbergasted about that. And also, I'm, I'm interested in the, the freshness about it because remember that somebody got a group together and bought some kind of a, a big major truffle uh, in the States, imported it, and everything that turned out to be rotten. Do you remember that? I thought, I thought it was yeah. in the UK, and it was, it was a restaurant called Zafferano, which we used to go to all the time. Oh, right. Okay, that's right. So I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's lots and lots of truffle corruption in the United States, and we won't necessarily um, introduce all the, all, the bad, all the baddies. Um, there is, definitely. Um, but it's a funny sort of, like, the truffles have a very short shelf life. Uh, so really, with, within a week or two at, coming out of the ground, that's the best time to experience them. After that, they're going to have lost most of their oomph. So, um, but but people still sell want to sell them because they're very expensive, as you guys mentioned. So, uh, dealers are always looking to unload their older truffles. Uh, 
So for that kind of thing, you really you're kind of at the mercy of the chef or the retailer to make sure that they're selling truffles that are really super fresh. Now, give give us a quick around the around the world of of where good truffles really come from. Um, so. Yeah, so the reputation is that the great black truffle, the black winter truffle, which is sometimes called the Perigord, comes from France, and it does. Right, okay. And the great, the great white truffle comes from Italy, and it does. But the, um, the reality is that they don't only come from France and Italy. They also come from a lot of other places and always have. Um, so with the black truffle, which people have figured out how to farm, uh, yes, it still comes from France, but now... Most of the world's fly comes from Spain and is farmed in yeah, I never very large knew that Spain. I mean, we've we've spent a bunch of time, lots of time over the years in Spain, and I never knew that they produced truffles. Yeah, you know, it's the funniest thing. Like it just you, Spain. It's it's areas of Spain where you wouldn't generally go as a tourist. Uh, it's these fairly depopulated, arid regions in the center of the country. Um, they're beautiful, but beautiful in sort of a, a slightly bleak way. Uh, yeah. But they invested, and the government invested uh, a lot of money and research in figuring out how to grow black truffles successfully, and um, they created this amazing industry with huge, huge black truffle farms and very successful. Uh, but the Spanish food culture hasn't really shown any interest in it, um, and French food culture, of course, is all about black truffles. So pretty much all of those truffles go to France and get sold as mostly as French black truffles, even though they're Spanish. Now, yeah, what, what about what about what about the truffles from the La Marque region? Oh yeah, we, that we we, uh, we had to, fun there. We, we actually we actually went to a, a place called Aqualagna, which you describe in your in your book. And, there, and there's a story about that that we must that we must tell you. If 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 you can tolerate one more truffle story, there are lots. <laughs> oh, there, are lots there are lots of there are lots of them out there. Not not all of them are entirely accurate. Um, we, yeah, I'd love to hear it. But Aquilania is a, a very special place, and really, if you want to understand Italian truffles, I figure like I feel like that is the town to go to. Yeah. Well, we well we were staying not far from Aquilania, with a couple of what what you. These days might call an Airbnb, but it was sort of a rooming house. And we wanted to find out about truffles. So, so they made an appointment for us by telephone with a Mr. Mariani in Aqualagna. <laughs> so, 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 so we dutifully drove to Aqualagna and we saw a sign painted on the wall that said this was the Mariani. So we went to the shop and the shop the shop was very busy. Their fax machine was running like crazy, taking orders for truffles, mostly, I should say, from the United States. But, yeah. it, but it, it turned out we were we were very popular with the people in the shop, and we ne- we didn't understand why. It turned <laughs> out there was a re- there was a restaurant next door, so we went there for lunch. And uh, they they sent us there and paid for it. Uh, yeah, bill had bill had been paid for. <laughs> and, and, we, and we continued through the day, and then we drove back to where we were staying. And the, uh, the host and hostess there said, "Where were you? You didn't show up." 
<laughs> we, said, we said we we most definitely did show up. It, tur- it turns out that the people we met with, also Mariani, by the way, <laughs> the, the, the bogus. They were the expecting Mariani, someone else. They were, they were well. They, I guess we had never been described. But if if we were going to ask them about truffles and truffle products, they were certainly going to be perfectly happy to talk to us about it. <laughs> Without without explaining that that we really didn't have the appointment that we thought we had. Wow, they thought you were buyers, right? So, um, yeah, well, yeah, they loaded yeah. us up with all these products, you know, that really didn't have truffles in it anyhow. You know, so then we were charged with bringing them back to the states, but anyhow. Yeah, um, right. Well, that's funny. Yeah, because so Aquilania is really the truffle powerhouse uh, in, right, in Italy, right. and, and um, people don't realize that, but um, many, there's many companies there producing a lot of truffles, and that region, La Marche, is the most productive truffle region in Italy. Um, right, right. They're, they're not, they don't get nearly the, the number of visitors that some of the more fa- famous parts of Italy do, so uh, there's still a bit of a, of a well-kept secret. Um, but, and they uh, say yeah, that they really... want to get more recognition though for that area, and I guess they have um, groups trying to promote them uh, uh, you know, over. I mean, I liked when you said that you could just look out over the towns of, say, Aquilania, which is um, you know surrounded by all these trees and forests and woods and so forth, conducive to truffle growing, and then um, uh, Alba. Is surrounded by grapevines <laughs> outside of the city, and so they pros- could probably or possibly provide all those uh, truffles. Is that true? Yeah, I mean it's a pretty obvious question that that generally we don't think about too much. But uh, truffles grow symbiotically with trees in forests, so you have to have forests to to get truffles. And yeah, anyone who's traveled around that uh, that Piedmont region. Around, especially Alba, uh, Barolo, the, like those areas where that apparently are supposed to be brimming over with truffles. You look around, and what you see are grapevines everywhere, and little yeah. tiny patches of forest. Um, so it's pretty obvious that the truff, truffles can't be growing there because truffles don't grow under grapevines. Um, but yeah, you go to La Marque, and it's forest in all directions, and and that's what you want to see for a truffle region. Now, um, you say your favorite, um, you, you said, of course, the Australian truffle industry is, is going to be the, the place for truffles in the future, and it, it helps that it's the opposite season, I guess, there, too. Um, but you say at one point of the book that, uh, that you asked somebody where the best truffles come from, and they said Hungary? Yeah, for white truffles, um the, but you also like mentioned Italy Turkey. For them. You also yeah, mentioned um, Turkey. That that entire band going. Italy is really the western edge of the white truffle band, and it goes just like straight east from Italy, right through Eastern Europe to the Black Sea, and that's where you find white truffles. So Italy probably is a a, a minority of the truffles uh, now. It really like. Romania, Bulgaria, Serbia, Hungary, Croatia. That that's where most of your white truffles are coming from. Amazing. 
and they don't, uh, you know, they don't really have a market for it at home, so they all head to Italy pretty much. But it's starting to change. Um, people are getting more interested in these other uh, truffle-producing regions and, and curious about whether they have truffle cultures of their own. And I think that's pretty exciting. It, it seems like we're on the beginning of a, a great um, blossoming of diversity in the truffle world. Now, there are some, what's it called, summer truffles, I guess, being successfully cultivated in Oregon, I think. Well, you know, yes. let's talk about um, Oregon because you came, I think you came down pretty easy on Oregon. Um, I have had Oregon truffles and, and the, um, the people behind the Oregon Truffle Festival sent me a bunch of them. Um, they were obviously little and ugly, but they, I didn't find any flavor whatsoever in them at all. And um, I actually took them to um, a, a line cook who had never worked with truffles at a neighboring um, neighborhood restaurant and gave them away. Tell me why you, you were soft on them and you actually uh, praised them. Yeah, um, I love the Oregon truffles, but you they have the shortest shelf life of any truffles in the world. It's literally about three days. And then they just uh, fall apart. So, um, so when they, they really sent them travel. to me, they were already on the down path. Yeah, my I've heard from many people who were underwhelmed by Oregon truffles, who had them other places, and were just totally underwhelmed. Um, and uh, my experience there uh, with like fresh truffles was just amazing. The most powerful truffle in the world is the Oregon white. It'll just uh, Turn everything in your fridge truffle flavored <laughs> within well, you know, 24 you hours. Well, you say that now. I'd like to try it again, but you know. But, mm, yeah, I, you I, have to go I, there. I it's, um, yeah, you I, I, and I've heard that from other people too. You got to be there. You really do. Um, it just doesn't. I don't think that truffle will ever have a great commercial future because of that. It's just going to have to be a, an ephemeral local product. You know. Now there's also a truffle festival in California. There is, and that's, that focuses on the black truffle, the, the winter black truffle um, of France and Spain, because people are growing that successfully in the U.S., although it's been a big struggle. I have so many questions for you. I, I want to get out that you have, um, you have a lot of really good photographs in this book, and if, if readers have trouble keeping the different types of truffles straight, you, you illustrated them thoroughly in photographs. Uh, you also have, I want to mention, um, ways of preparing truffles so that it serves as, as a cookbook, too. And you have sources for getting truffles. And, I, you know, I looked at that your source list, and I have to tell you that some of the biggest names in truffles are not on that list. And that tells you something, yeah, doesn't I, it? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, my, and my list is certainly not comprehensive, but I did want to just single out a few um, small small enterprises that I knew were really trustworthy in terms of um, that freshness question. Now, I, I, I want to point out that you run through a whole, a whole list of, of characters that you had, um, in, had been in contact with in your research, and each one has a certain uh, charm in the way you describe it. I mean, you, just, you have such a, a vivid writing style. And there are people you really want to know. But the thing that sidetracked me a lot was your discussion of these dogs. You were a dog lover? 
Yeah, um, I am. I mean, are and, they really and, as smart as you said? That one dog that would actually communicate with eye glances and stuff with the the, the, the grower. I mean, is that true? I mean, did you exaggerate this? Or a dog that's smart? Oh, no, no. No, no, that's true. And that, yeah, that was a dog in Hungary. Um, the really yeah, good truffle smart. dogs are amazing. Yeah. Um, they're truly just incredibly smart. And you realize how, uh, how much smarter a, a dog can be than, <laughs> than most of our dogs that we haven't trained very well. Um, cause I also certainly saw plenty of truffle dogs that could barely find their own shadow. You know, there was a great spread of ability, but the, the good ones were truly just, uh, Amazing. Do you think, um, I mean, because you so don't specify any one breed. I mean, is it just because they're trained or what makes the difference? You know, I asked that question to a lot of people and got different answers. But uh, you, there's, this, there's this breed from Italy called the Lagotto Romagnolo. Yeah, right. They, they grow them here famed, or train yeah. them here. And, um, and is it, you know, I can't remember the name of the, the resort. What? You know, uh, Blackberry maybe. Farms, yeah. Blackberry yeah, Farms, yeah. Blackberry Farms. Um, yeah, so Lagotos are have, you know, all the cachet as the ultimate truffle hunting breed, but most of the experts I talked to said any dog can do it if, you know, you, you, you start training them at the right age. Or not any dog, but any dog that is um, that is a sort of a retriever type of dog and that uh, – it's food motivated because you kind of got to, you have to, um, there's some dogs that don't care about the little treats that much and they're not going to uh, probably ever get that excited about truffles. But if they like to retrieve things and they like biscuits, then they're probably going to make a good truffle dog. I'll be darned. Well, you know, uh, Roland Jacobson, I, I truly don't think that we gave away all the secrets in this book. So it's on a total spoiler this talking to you. Uh, and I think that um, I'm, I'm really right up front and honest. I say it's, it's absolutely a wonderful book. And just for the sheer joy of reading your, your prose, <laughs> which borders on the poetic sometimes. Um, yeah, I, I, again, readers, it's, it's Rowan Jacobson, and it's called Truffle Hound. And then you'd love it even if you don't care about truffles, to tell you the truth. <laughs> Just with all the characters and the, the, you know, the places and your descriptions of experiences, wonderful. Congratulations on this achievement, and I hope you have much success with this book. Well, thanks, Anne. I really appreciate it. Is there anything we've left out? That was terrific. You did a great job of uh, covering a lot of ground in a short amount of time. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of ground to cover. I mean, I just, I love this book. I mean, I just read it cover to cover. <laughs> oh, wish well, great. That's what you want to hear. And I will tell you, that's a secret because everybody assumes I read all their books cover to cover. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. Um, You know, we love seeing young companies uh, grow and prosper and that's what's happening to our next guest, Greg and uh, Carrie Hayes. 
and their company, which is now called Way Better Cookie Company, um, is winning awards, is getting uh, distributed more widely, and, and Peter ate all of them. He found his way to Peter's stomach, just like just like that. <laughs> and they, 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 so they're way better cookies. And they're well, they, well, yeah, exactly. And, and, the nice part about you can heat them up too. Yes. So, so, yes. so the little black, so the little chocolate things and the little white things melt into the cookie. So you should figure out where you can get some. I think. Don't yes. you think so? Yeah, we'll tell and, us. Let's hear their story. Gary's going to tell us. Well, everybody loves cookies, don't they? <laughs> and and we were going to be talking to Greg and Carrie Hayes. Uh, and their company, which is, I thought it was clever, it's way better, it was way better bakery, it's now way better cookie company, but the the um, the, the tricky part is the way is W-H-E-Y, and why is that important, Greg and Carrie? Well, that is well, because we make protein cookies. <laughs> yeah. And, and tell us about the play on the word whey. Well, we use whey protein in everything. And, well, you know, it's way better, W-A-Y. <laughs> and it's also W-H-E-Y because it's whey protein. I love that. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> clever play on words. It's a play well, on did, words, right. How did you get to do this? What, tell us about the, the development of your inspiration for your company and when you started and so on? Well, we started, I guess, from the very beginning is when I was in corporate fitness, I worked for um, Lifetime and their in-house nutrition company was who made the protein powder. And I just started experimenting with it uh, at home, um, baking things for myself, put it in oatmeal and pancake batter. And then I made a pumpkin mousse for some clients at Thanksgiving in 2008 and never really did much else with it. And then a few years later, I opened my own private training studio and uh, met my now wife in 2013. And she thought it smelled like birthday cake. And we just started playing around with it because as trainers, we never get a chance to eat during the day. So we wanted to make something that we could eat quick. And the first thing was born and that was uh, an oatmeal muffin. And then, um, from there, uh, you know, clients would ask us, it's like, so what is that stuff you have sitting around? It's like, well, if I give you money, will you make it for me? And so the bakery was kind of unofficially born there. And, uh, uh-huh. and, and then and from there we just... You were in Michigan, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, well, at the time we were in Ohio. So that, oh, okay. Back in 2013, 14, we met, that's where we met was in Ohio. Oh, okay. And then we can... You want to take that, you want to take it from there, Carrie? I was uh, born and raised here in Detroit, so we we decided to come home, back back to my hometown, and um, we opened uh, another training studio. And the uh, the bakery started producing more than the studio was. We found ourselves busy baking. I guess you know it's easier <laughs> to sell a cookie than it is to sell sit ups. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, I, I I love to talk about my my trainer. She's been training me for forever, and um, but her sister was a, a baker, 
And so they opened a bakery. So on one end, they have a bakery and a, a sweets catering business. <laughs> and they're fattening them up with that. And then <laughs> the, the training studio where you get whittled down. <laughs> That's what one of my clients said. She said, I get it. You're going to keep feeding me this, so I have to keep coming in and working out with you. <laughs> <laughs> so you're still training. Um, not so much anymore. Once the pandemic hit and um, all the training and gyms here in Michigan kind of closed down, we decided to just uh, put 100% into the bakery, which was probably a good idea. We're, we're doing pretty well now. Um, and, and now that we have our retail location, we can, you know, meet more people. Um, but prior to that, we were just a production facility making it and selling it through a website. Got it. Now, there's something unusual about these about these cookies, because <laughs> you you so, sort of cooked them already, but I'm not sure whether you actually had or not. But then part of the process of getting them ready to eat is you do cook them. Bake right? them. Yes. Explain explain. Well, bake, cook, same thing, I guess. <laughs> so, so tell us about that aspect of the business. About baking the cookies. Well, yeah, but, I mean about about the fact that they when when you when you sell them, they're they're not they're not necessarily baked already. Yes, they are. Yes. Oh, they are. Yes, yes, they're yes. baked. But you can. That what you're trying to express is that they give you directions for you can um, plop them in the oven and heat them up, and and you get a just baked flavor. Uh, and aroma. I mean, I thought it was great if you tried to sell your house. <laughs> you could put them in your <laughs> oven. They, they, they freeze very well, and because they're such large cookies, um, and when we ship them through the mail, they come in a six-pack. Some people find it difficult to eat them all within the, the time frame of them still being super fresh. So we encourage, um, if you're not going to be able to eat them right away, to freeze them. And then, yes, okay. the, the best way to get them out of the freezer is to put them back in the oven. And I just think our cookies taste so much better when they're warm. Oh, yeah. Um, it smells good. And, and, yeah, and it smells divine in your house. And um, so that's why um, we, we put those instructions in there because we don't use any preservatives. We don't want any any fake chemicals in, in our food. So. Well, this is, you know, one thing that I think that's really different about your cookies is the taste. You know, I, I don't like, I mean, I'm, I'm into all this training and all this fitness stuff, but I don't mm-hmm. like any of those products because they all taste like chemicals. They do, and that was, I would, I'd stop in a grocery store, grab a bar on the way to work, I'm like, this does not taste like a chocolate brownie. This does not no. taste like cookies and cream. <laughs> so that was the, the challenging part to... I, I, I say that. I said they take all the good stuff that makes a brownie or makes a cookie out of it, and they try and replace it with a chemical. And, and you can tell. People know. Um, so that was that was kind of how I, I started it. When my kids were eating pancakes that I added this protein to, and they didn't make a face, I thought we were on to oh, something. Oh, you had Kid tested cookies. That's a good That's place. right. <laughs> kids know when you try and sneak. Now the other interesting thing is you uh, you have them in black and white, right? Oh, the black and white cookie, yes. And uh, that's not that's not exactly a classic Toll House cookie, although it's close. 
No, I that came from my love of New York City, and I couldn't really make the, the traditional black and white cookie, but I thought, all right, well, I can make a double dark chocolate cookie with chocolate chips and then add white chips to it, and, and it's our own right. version of the black and white. <laughs> right. And you say you have how many flavors? What uh, are we up to All together, it's 14. 14. 14 different flavors. <laughs> now, um are you constantly thinking of new flavors? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think I yes, drink we are. cookies. <laughs> so what is your favorite? Now, what are your favorite flavors that you now have, and what are you looking at? Well, we just created um, our fall cookie, which was the uh, the Dutch apple pie cookie, and it's, it's phenomenal. It's really like eating apple pie in a cookie. Oh, really? Um, That's good. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Our our biggest sellers are our s'mores cookie, which is a very traditional s'mores. It's got graham cracker on the outside. Uh, our seaside caramel, which is a double chocolate cookie with soft caramel on the inside and sprinkled with sea salt. Um, and then our monster cookie, which is a chocolate chip cookie with peanut M&Ms. And roasting the peanuts when you bake the cookie, it changes the flavor, and those they just taste phenomenal. So those are our probably our three most popular flavors. No, do how do you sell these online or in the bake shop only, or how? Yeah, both, um, both online and we ship nationwide. Uh, do you do you target like the health market, the fitness market? Well, in a way, and we don't. We very we're very specific, saying that we're not. You know, we're not a health food bakery. Just because we bake with protein, it doesn't necessarily mean it's you know it's still a cookie. I mean, it's still meant to be enjoyed and not, you know, picked apart for its nutrient profile. And it's, um, you know, like like anything else, it's food. So if you want to eat it, it's got to taste good. And, you know, for us to have a business, we have to, you know, we want to keep selling more cookies. So they have to taste really good because once you eat it and you really like it, you're going to keep buying it. And that, you know, and having such a background in the fitness industry and knowing that, you know, like we said, none of that stuff tastes the way it's supposed to, these just taste like a regular, delicious, awesome cookie, and it should be enjoyed. Now, now is there but an it fills you up. Is there an <laughs> antidote that you can take to stop you from eating them? <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, I end up getting full, so I, I'm Because like... I'm, eat, I'm eating them like crazy. <laughs> Well, that's good. <laughs> uh, the the protein, like thirty to thirty five grams of protein in each of those cookies. Um, so we figured it's uh, big enough to share. You you get full. Um, you know, with a, a standard cookie from the grocery store, I could probably sit and eat an entire package of those. But these cookies tend to fill me up, and and then I uh, I put it aside for the next day, or I share it. Sometimes I'll share. Yeah, I was just wondering, I mean, do people eat the whole cookie? Because, I mean, I thought they were really large. <laughs> was there a reason why they're large? Um, that also came from my love of New York, <laughs> where uh-huh. they have a bakery that makes very big cookies. Um, I think it was just it was just a, a marketing, make it fun. You know, they, people walk in and, and get six cookies at a time, and they comment on how heavy the boxes and how beautiful the cookies look and more than likely they're sharing them with people i've had people tell me they cut them into eight um and freeze them and take out a sliver at a time i guess it just depends on yeah on the person and what their goals are and we've had somebody ask us to make them protein cookies for a birthday party because the gentleman didn't want a birthday cake so 
sometimes we'll do special things like that as well. Do you do any catering at all? I mean, like, um, you know, I was talking to you about my trainer who has both a gym and a bakery, and but they mm-hmm. also do catering. And there's a big market out there. People will spend a fortune having entire uh, sweets rooms, like dessert rooms, um, mm-hmm. with interactive stations and stuff set up for events. We have not yet, but that certainly piques my interest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, they they get to do a lot of um, oh, bar misses, bat misses, um, weddings, uh, and um, you know, I mean, they, of course, we're in Pittsburgh. The cookie table is mm-hmm. a big deal here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably is in Michigan too. I should think. I was gonna say, it's not that different from from Detroit. I'm sure. Right. So, um, anyhow, but you're back home now. Uh, how about Greg? Are you back home, or are you from there as well? I'm. I'm from Texas. I'm from Austin. I haven't. So I've been. I've been away from there for almost twenty years. Oh. So you went from there to Ohio. Yes. To Ohio, you or Ohio State? I mean. No, I just I I just lived it. I I I lived in Columbus. I didn't. I I was. I graduated in nineteen from college in nineteen ninety six. I lived in Columbus from two thousand and three until um, we moved up here in two thousand and fifteen. Uh-huh. Yeah, I have I have lots of relatives in Columbus, and yeah, mm-hmm. and a good friend just moved there too. Um, yeah, I mean, they have a lot of good food, but they also have a lot of good food in Austin. They do. Yes, they do. <laughs> We, we were, I've always been a good cook. We, we were supposed to go to the Austin Food and Wine Festival one year. We were all set, and then there was a uh, was it a hurricane, Lovey? I think it was a hurricane, was, and it wiped so out the uh, outdoor like space it. where we were supposed to be having our festival. Mm-hmm. So, so everybody's all yeah. set to go to Austin to have a wonderful food and wine festival. <laughs> And they had to cancel it, and they didn't hold it till the following year. And I'm not sure it's back. I don't know either. Mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't got any information. But um, so now, how do you tailor your your flavors? I mean, you're appealing to just a broad general audience, or what? I, yeah, I, I think I, so. We, there's people that come in. Um, not until about a month or so ago did we have an oatmeal raisin cookie and this gentleman kept coming in <laughs> and buying cookies and saying, you know, it'd be nice if you had an oatmeal raisin cookie. So we made one and it, it turned out to be a really good seller. I didn't think people would want oatmeal raisin. So a lot, oh, no, a lot of times that's <laughs> That's popular, yeah. So and, and is there any particular production you use? I mean, do you have to adjust... Your, your production to the amount of protein you have it seems so large yeah the uh, once once we figured out the re- the exact recipe it's just a matter of you know changing the base a little bit like you know for our chocolate chip cookies versus the cocoa based cookies um, and the oatmeal raisin is a totally different recipe so but so the short answer is yes and the long answer is it, it's, it depends on the base but it's pretty much the same protein across the spectrum for all of them but you said you've always been a good cook, huh, Greg? <laughs> yes. Do you, do you do all the cooking in the house? I in the house. no. We, we 
we split it. Uh-huh. Which we we joke that um, you know it used to be uh, our swim and tennis club. Um, the, the women would sit around exchanging recipes. Now it's all the guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his dinners are so beautiful. I I take pictures of them and post them on social media. So don't oh, be too humble. He's an excellent cook. <laughs> And with no training, huh? How does that happen? Did you ever, did you ever think about short, creating a shortbread cookie? I just made one. Um, you just made one. Ted Lasso. Yeah. We, we watched that show, Ted Lasso, and they were talking about the biscuits. And um, I said, I wonder if I can make something like that. And we did. We came out with a really great, and it's protein. Um, I haven't put it up on the, the website just yet because it's a whole it's a whole different shape than what we're used to making. So there'd be different packaging to ship it out. But we make them and sell them in the in our bakery for people to come in and get. Yeah, the, the, the mother and father of shortbread cookies, I guess, is called Walkers. Walkers. They're, oh they're, yeah. They're in, they're, in, they're in Scotland. Scotland. Yes, I bought actually bought a bag of those. And they tasted are, them, good, huh? saw that I could. <laughs> oh yeah, and I said, "All right, there can't be any. It's got to be similar to this." So I did. I brought, I bought those to the bakery, and we both tasted it. And then I tried to duplicate something close to, uh, well, to really, what it was. It's really funny. It? We actually met Mr. Walker in person at the Fancy Food Show. Oh wow! He, he, <gasps> oh, he, wow. he, was, on, he was on the Walker exhibit, hawking, hawking cookies. Yeah. yeah. Ah. See. But, but, he's, but he ah. said. He said they were about to build a second factory. So there's, oh my a, there's, a small, there's a small town in the north of Scotland which already had one cookie manufacturer, and then that cookie manufacturer decided he would create another cookie factory. And needless to say, I think the, the neighborhood really loves him. <laughs> well, I mean, it's still a family-owned business, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we better tell our listeners how to um, get your your cookies if they don't happen to live in Michigan. Uh, How about giving your website? It's our um, website. Go ahead. It's uh, Way Better Cookie Co. So W H E Y B E T T E R Cookie C O dot com. Great. Well, listeners, you're going to want to do that, and then you have this wonderful luxury of feeling like you're being healthy because it has so much protein in it. (laughs) Yes, it's supposed to be a very filling, satisfying cookie. Um, Well, it certainly is, and Peter can testify to that. Does your dog dog like them too? Yes, I'm sorry. I know we're home today, and thank you to the neighbors. Well, listen, thank you for taking the time to talk to us, and I wish you continuing success in your um, in, in your way better cookie company. Thank you so thank much. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure talking to you. That's it for today. Um, thank you all for tuning in, and don't forget to uh, make sure you keep up to date on your vaccinations. Yeah, yeah and get some cookies. Get and, some cookies. And get, and get this book so you know as much about truffles and truffle dogs as Anne does because she's a real expert by now and and so and so is her friend who wrote the book so what do we say until next week same bye time bye. same place bye bye <laughs>